The Enneagram is one of my absolute favorite tools that I have utilized in both my personal and professional growth. And so if you've ever been curious about it or want to dive into it more, today's episode is for you. So I have the queen of the Enneagram, Tracy O'Malley, who is not only a top Enneagram expert, but she has a sought-after performance coach for companies like Google, Amazon, John Deere, just to name a couple you know, kind of big companies. And today we are going to dive into really what she does when she coaches both professionals and individuals. And that is how to integrate the Enneagram into every area of your life and utilize it as a way to really jump forward in the pursuit of your most authentic and meaningful life, right? Like it's going to help guide you to think and perform differently, uncover and change habits that no longer serve you, shift your relationship with self and money and all these different things. So that's what we're going to dive into today. And I cannot wait for you to hear it. Make sure if something really hits, take a screenshot, share it on social, tag both myself and Tracy. And yeah, I'll let you get into it. Human on the Daily, the podcast for anyone wanting to break free of any boxes or expectations and embrace their full authentic self. I am Dr. Megan Daly, and I have been there. I've overcome so much trauma, dealt with so many stressors like competing in high-level athletics, rigorous academics, getting my doctor in physical therapy, and I did what I should do, right? I climbed the corporate healthcare ladder. And when that didn't make me feel fulfilled, I branched out and opened up my own cash clinic and built it to six figures in the second year. Yet I still felt like something was off when I looked in the mirror and maybe you can relate. So I scaled back and really dove into the questions of who am I really and what is it that I am meant to do? So together in this podcast, we are going to dive into all the tips, tools, and experiences for you to answer those same questions for yourself so you can live your best, most joyful and fulfilled life. Because if you're not doing that, then what the fuck are you really doing? So let's fucking go. All right, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of Human on the Daily. I am so excited to have the one and only Tracy O'Malley on today. I connect. When did we connect? It's been a couple years, technically, the first time. But then I think the first time we really actually spoke was in Ohio, maybe. Yeah. Like really in the in the Uber on the way to an event. Um, and I've just I've always loved your energy. It wasn't the first time I've seen you speak, but it was. Yeah, I just I love your story so much. And so I'm I'm really excited to bring it to my listeners. And I think you're such an example, a great example of once you learn more about yourself, like with you, I know you're really big on the Enneagram, you're the Enneagram queen. And mm-hmm. utilizing knowing yourself and your self-worth as a way to break out of the expectations of others and really lean into who you truly are as a superpower. So I would love for you to just kind of roll with that, like intro yourself and how you got to where you are today. My goodness. Thank you for having me on first and foremost. I think this is, this is the number one thing that keeps us stuck and not moving forward. We live in a a day and age where information is like immediate at our fingertips on social Mm -hmm. media. Like we know all the things we have all the strategy for free on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. And yet so many of us, myself included, find ourselves stuck. And then what comes when we know better, but we're not doing better? Shame, avoidance, Mm. numbing, comparison. 
all the things that keep that cycle going. And I'm no different, honestly. And you know, where I came into the Enneagram was kind of at this breaking point in my life. This was 12 years ago. Um, and I've been in personal development um, for 22 years. So mm-hmm. for the first 10 years of my personal development journey, I felt like I was, like many of you, taking four steps forward, five back, four forward, five back. Mm-hmm. And my goodness, was that frustrating. And honestly, <laughs> It felt a lot easier to be oblivious and ignorant to it, quite honestly, but with great reward, with great reward comes great responsibility and to whom much is given, much is required. And I knew I wanted something different and that was going to require something different of me in which I didn't have the modeling or um, the path put in front of me. I had the path of strategy, but I didn't have the path of self-awareness. And no matter how many therapists I hired and how many coaches I could put in front of me, I felt like I didn't even understand myself. And so I would chameleon myself into whomever was in front of me in efforts to have them be able to guide me out of this stuckness. And the cool part is, is we have everything inside of us to be able to do that for ourselves. Now, it's better, like even the best, most self-aware people have coaches and mentors, and that's really important, but it's really hard to lead your, yourself if you don't know who you are, Yeah, what motivates you. And that's kind of where it brought me 12 years ago is I had all the, the resources, the tools, the therapists, the coaches, and I wasn't doing something different with it because I was doing it in ways that maybe weren't um, authentic to who I was. And when I met myself with the shame and the anger and the frustration, it kept setting me back. And so I was at this point where like, I need to do something different and let's let's burn all the boats and try this for a change. And that's kind of where the Enneagram came into my life. And I came into it kicking and screaming. I want nothing, <laughs> nothing with it. I feel like that's the case with anything that's like really going to yeah. be the thing that makes a difference. We fight it. Yeah, we really, really do. It's, you know, we want something different and we know it requires something different, but then we put all these um, contingencies on it, right? It's like, but not that. It's like, (laughs) you know, we're getting dealt this hand, but we've got like this own deck of cards in our back pocket. It's like, no, you keep your cards to yourself. I'm going to play my own hand here. And, you know, life's not getting shorter and we only get one of them. And so I finally got to that, that, that place of humility and frustration and starting to see my own children repeat. You know, if you don't repair mm. you, if you don't repair it, you repeat it or it gets repeated yeah. or both. And that was happening in my life. It's like the people that I'm here to love and lead are going to do what I do, not what I say to do. And so yeah. that required more of me. And so when I was introduced to the Enneagram, I was actually at probably one of the hardest points of my life, you know, um, coming out of a divorce, the recession, um, a business that I had to shut down, um, you know, dysfunctional and disordered relationships with food, alcohol, anger, codependency, you name it. Um, I was kind of at this breaking point of like, I need more. And my therapist suggested the Enneagram and I told her to go fuck herself. I was like, I don't need, <laughs> I don't need a label. I'm coming mm-hmm. to you in rehab with lots of labels. I don't need another. Yeah. Thanks. Just tell me how to fix all this shit. And she is wired like me and wasn't even rattled because I was a little bit spicier than um, even my colorful language here. 
and she wasn't even rattled by it. And she was like, my dear, your best thinking has gotten you here. And this actually might help you get out of the box that not only the world has put you in, but you have also put yourself in. So how about you open up your mind a little bit? Um, mm. And I was like, well, shit, first of all, she wasn't even remotely afraid of me, which is usually how I would use that spiciness is to kind of test people. Yeah. And she had a fucking point. <laughs> and so I surrendered, which is not easy for this girl to do. I surrendered and I trusted her. And that's where the journey with the Enneagram beca- began. And pretty rapidly, immediately, I had this holy shit moment, like, wow, this is the roadmap out of the conditioning and the expectations that I had been living with for 40 years at that point. And meeting myself with compassion in order to um, break free of that. And once I started to break free of that for myself, then I had to deal with the wreckage and the conditioning and expectations of those in my life. And that was a whole different ball game, but the Enneagram also helped me deal with that. So it was like, first of all, helping me um, compassionately deal with the expectations I had put on myself for four decades, but then also breaking free of the conditioning and the dance I'd been dancing for 40 years as well with the people that were in my life, some by family, some by choice. Um, and that was that was a tough road for sure. And I think that's where most of us get stuck. Yeah. And I, I definitely want to dive into that a little bit more because whether it's examples from yourself or other examples, because I know you've worked with tons of people, myself included, like I've done a one-on-one with you and really diving into like how you can utilize this tool and how it shapes every aspect of your life. Like you were saying, like, it's not only just breaking out of the expectations and knowing yourself, but it's how you even address recognize and then address the expectations that have been put on you by other people. So do you mind diving into that a little bit more? Yeah. Well, here's the thing with the Enneagram. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful tool. And it's next to my faith, my number one tool that I use for everything in my life. That being said, having the right information is going to be key because think of it like a GPS system or a roadmap. Like if you don't have the right coordinates or the right address, you're going to be going in the mm-hmm. wrong direction and end up more yeah. frustrated. And yeah. And you and I have talked about the fact that so many people are mistyped. Like I was mistyped for years when, I mean, you pinned me without even like, I think within five seconds of me speaking. (laughs) Well, that's the beauty of me being me. And yeah, there is a, and my commitment to um, understanding people without an assessment because they are Mm -hmm. so flawed. The assessments are inaccurate 65 to 70% of the time. So I knew that because I was mistyped as well. I was like, well, how good is this fucking tool if it's not accurate, right? And so I needed to really get skillful at understanding people. Now you might be saying, well, what do I do? I can't have access to you. I have an assessment that is over 95% (laughs) accurate. So I'm just going to say that because this conversation will probably um, really have you intrigued in understanding yourself. And I want you to have the right information. So I worked long and hard to find one that I could provide you to give you the right information. And and once you have the right information, the possibilities are endless on how to navigate all this stuff. So once- Yeah, and I'll make sure that's in the show notes too, because I I actually shoot your link to almost every client that I work with because I want them to be correctly typed and then be able to utilize it. Oh, thank you for that. Um, Yeah, of course. No, and it's, it's the hard part about the Enneagram, but 
you know, I'm not, I love AI and I love like human design and astrology. I love anything that allows us to have awareness about ourselves. And um, also like, it's hard to just rely on something that, you know, asks us a few questions and poof, this is who you are. Now, mm-hmm. I, I believe like the human design and astrology, like those are pretty on point tools, right? But the Enneagram really allows you to get get into the psychology and spirituality spirituality and the motives behind everything we do and who we are, right? I think human design, astrology are amazing and telling you who you are, but then what the fuck do you do with that? Yeah. What's the roadmap on how to authentically and strategically use this in my relationships, personal and professional, um, the relationship with myself? And so when I recognized that I was actually an Enneagram eight, not an Enneagram three, right? Behaviorally, I can look very three-like, right? I can see a goal, hit a goal. I can crush anything in its path. I can have tunnel vision so laser focused that nothing will stop me. And those are some of the main behaviors of an Enneagram three. But what motivates a three is not even close to what motivates me. And especially high achieving women, I think are the most mistyped on the Enneagram. Yeah. Once I understood that I was an eight and what that meant for me, this, this allowed me to have, like I said, compassion and empathy and understanding for why there were certain times where no matter how much the carrot got dangled in front of me, I was like, yeah, that's a hard pass. And it was so frustrating to me because I judge myself and beat myself Mm. up. And because that felt weak, which is the biggest fear of an Enneagram 8, what I did to quiet that voice became very excessive and extreme and destructive in my life to myself and to the things that I was here to do to the people that I love. And so when I understood what was at the root of everything that motivated me, this allowed me to make better decisions, um, to understand where I would get tripped up in that in that journey. Because behind every motive is a fear, trying to protect the things we we are most afraid of. Right? There are these coping mechanisms and defense mechanisms, and depending on your conditioning and the experiences you've had in your life, your measuring stick might be a little skewed. Right. So I'll use myself as an example, just so you guys can kind of hear the difference in the measuring stick being skewed. So as an Enneagram eight, I am motivated by being strong um, and being independent and not being weak. Being weak or put in a vulnerable situation is the worst case scenario for an Enneagram eight. So depending on what was taught, told and modeled for you, how you go about protecting that can get a little extreme, a little destructive, right? I grew up in an alcoholic home, right? Where I was modeled what was strong in my household. It was very dysfunctional. It was very skewed, but because it wasn't repaired, it got repeated by that person and also myself, right? So as I was learning about the Enneagram and recognizing that the way that I measure strength and independence might need some recalibrating, And it doesn't mean that I'm never going to be motivated by strength because I always am. I always will. Everything that Mm -hmm. I do will like, what, what does this mean for my strength? Now, what has changed is what I believe strength means today Mm -hmm. and true, honorable, authentic strength means today. I'm still spicy. I'm still intense. (laughs) 
I'm still like, why I've loved you. Like from the yeah. moment that I like heard you the first time, like I was like, yeah. all right, she's cool. And I'm pretty sure you yeah. went up to like hard rock music as well. But yeah. I, I love what you just said about that changing the definition of strength and not change. Cause I think there's some people that hear their Enneagram and depending on their perception of, of the, whatever it is that their motivator is like, there can be some shaming or some, Oh, I don't want to be that type versus leaning into it and realizing, okay, how does this work for me? Yeah. I didn't love when I read the parts about like the fear of vulnerability, because as an eight, I think I'm bulletproof and that I can handle anything and I'm strong as fuck. And like, there isn't a challenge that mm-hmm. I face. And for the most part, that's true as long as I can flex. But because mm-hmm. I've been conditioned that vulnerability was a weakness, I resisted the very thing that would allow me to have connection and support and love and all the things that my heart always craved. But because I was so fearful of it, I not only resisted it, but sabotaged it and pushed it away. Now, with somebody like you, that's an Enneagram seven, you aren't motivated by being strong. You could care less about that. You're motivated (laughs) by like freedom of choice and certainty that all options are available to you. And I'm raising a daughter that's wired like you. So you can imagine if I'm looking through the lenses of like, you got to be strong and everything is about strength and I'm trying to empower and motivate her. She's looking at me like, mom, you don't understand me. Oh yeah. My mom was a one. God help (laughs) you. You're her worst case scenario. Yeah. (laughs) You're actually the very thing that is her growth. Mm -hmm. If she could humble herself enough, like you're her biggest trigger. My son is my biggest trigger. My son is my growth number. You're an Enneagram one's growth number, but you're also the thing that makes her the most uncomfortable. I'm sure at times Mm -hmm. my son was hundred percent to the point where like circling back to the whole, like you, like for me, when I first found out, I realized I was a seven, I kind of rebelled against it because I had been brought up that achievement was what the goal was and to be strong and all these things that do kind of go against the motivators of the seven. So, yeah. Yeah. The more that I understood the Enneagram seven in my daughter, I realized that I thought she looked out of at life and had the same perspective from the same lenses I did. And recognizing that there are eight other lenses that the world and people in your life, I guarantee look through that are different than you. And it doesn't make any of us better than the other. Like that was also humbling. I thought like strength was like the Holy grail. And although it serves its role and it is important and all of that, it isn't the only way and the only perspective. And, and quite honestly, like every Enneagram type superpower is it's only its superpower when it's in a place of love, compassion, empathy, service, and grace, fun, and innocence. But when I'm operating in that superpower from a place of fear, insecurity, unworthiness, shame, guilt, and a whole fuck ton of ego, Mm -hmm. that same superpower becomes the kryptonite, not only to myself, but to anything in its path. And so recognizing the other eight perspectives and superpowers, like I'm only going to learn from them if I can see them and honor Mm -hmm. they are, including my two children, a two and a seven. And so those were the first two types that were outside of myself that I really dove deep into because I, you know, as a mom and as their number one leader in their life and mentor in their life, I've been a single mom for 15 years. And although, um, you know, as a very tactical mom 
and they never had to worry about a roof over our head. I would always make shit happen. Hello, flex, strong, (laughs) independent, right? Like that's where it was a great thing, but I lacked nurturing and compassion and understanding, which as their mom, they so desperately craved and deserved and desired. And the first step in, you know, first understanding not only how the eight is motivated and how I fear, but also how others might receive me and that I have a responsibility in that. And the old me would have been like, well, seriously, this is who the fuck I am. If you can't deal with it, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. That's how we can use these tools in a very dysfunctional, out of integrity, abusive way, right? There's other tools that have been used that way as well. So, you know, a lot of times I'll be sharing about the Enneagram and people are like, gosh, I wish I had known this sooner. And I'm a firm believer that when the student is ready, the tool and the teacher appears. And there's a reason why this was not made available to me before I would have absolutely used it to manipulate. Right. But Mm -hmm. at the place that I came to this in my life, my kids were 14 and 15 at the time. And, you know, as a single parent, it was tough. And, you know, I had been an entrepreneur, had to like shut down that business and go into a corporate job for a little bit, only two and a half years. But I felt like I was falling apart for them and not, you know, I was keeping on the stoic strong face and because the expectation is like, I am bulletproof, right? Yeah. I was doing them a disservice by not showing them all the feelings and all the, the processes. And so understanding who they are, what motivated each of them and what their biggest fear was, I recognized that I was sometimes their their worst case scenario right in front of them. And so I had to recalibrate and and kind of look through their lenses from time to time. It's like, do I want to be right or do I want to be effective in my life? Mm, yeah. The reality is I want to be both, but I can't get to righteousness without compassion and without understanding of who I'm talking to. So I started using this without putting an assessment in front of them. Um, I understood very clearly who my kids were and what motivated them. And that's the cool part about this is, is if you get genuinely curious about people and you genuinely give a shit about how to be the most effective communicator for them, um, you will get better at this. And so I started speaking to my son as though he was a two. I knew it right away. I landed because when people feel seen, heard, understood, and valued for who they are, guess mm-hmm. what happens? Trust and credibility. And I don't give a shit if you're their parent. Like that's a privilege. It's not a right. And it, I grew up in a home that was a do as I say, not as I do, an authoritarian. Mm-hmm. And there was no good feelings in that. I mean, I got a lot of good shit from my parents. Like they did the best they could and they taught me a lot of good shit. But growing up in this, like it is absolutely not okay to be who you are. You just yeah. do as I say, not as I do. And I was starting to repeat that. And like it, like, I didn't earn the credibility and trust of my own children just because I birthed them or just Mm -hmm. because I was their mom. It came when I looked through their lenses from time to time and learned how to communicate speaking to that and, and recognizing that their fears are their fears and it doesn't make them weak or um, insignificant or invalid. Right. Yeah. And when I used this tool and spoke to those things, Everything in my chain in my house changed overnight. Everything. Um, Looks like you lifted the veil on any expectations and assumptions you were unintentionally placing on them. A hundred percent. Like, like my son, who is an Enneagram two, motivated by being loved and appreciated. Biggest fear is not feeling worthy, 
right? And here I am being this bulletproof, stoic, strong as fuck mother, thinking I was doing well by him. And actually what I was doing every single day was chipping away at his confidence because I wasn't motivated by love and appreciation. So he automatic kids will automatically assume it's their problem and there's yeah. something wrong with them. And when I recognized like that, I was like, oh my God. And could also learn from him, like having compassion and empathy, I lack naturally. It's a stretch for me, just like you being um, a free spirit and go with the flow is like for your mother, the hardest thing for her to do. It's yeah. also, she needs to grow the most. And so of course I was gifted and blessed with this beautiful son that not only was here to teach me the thing I needed the most, but also I could bring something to the table if and only if I saw, understood, appreciated, and valued him for who he is and who he's mm -hmm. wired to be. And that changed everything for him. Like not only did he learn healthy boundaries, he wasn't looking for love and appreciation from a dysfunctional place, um, but he was able to have healthier boundaries and use the, the considerate helpers, superpowers for superpowers instead of coming from this place of codependency or insecurity or unworthiness, shame, ego, guilt, whatever. And same thing with my yeah. dog. You can imagine like having me as a mother, although you like that intensity and yes, yeah, sevens love intensity. They love the spicy parts, but where sevens don't love where I come from is the judgment or trying to make you do things that you don't want to do. And mm -hmm. I love to be to make sure that everybody around me is in control and strong. But for a seven, I'm speaking a different language when I'm all about that, that with her, it was like, let's find excitement in this. And there was nothing exciting about being in control sometimes for an any, <laughs> they're about like yeah. the experience and the choices that come from that. And she was my, the reason why I really dove into the Enneagram because as a mom, and as a woman who doesn't have a relationship with her mother, I don't today. And not because my mom's a bad person, because she's not, she's beautiful. But she didn't have the emotional um, capacity, willingness, awareness to be able to have that relationship with me at this point. And I didn't want that repeated. I wanted my daughter to not only just love me, but also respect and admire me enough to tap into my wisdom, not because she was afraid of me but because yeah. I saw respected and honored who she was always designed to be. And like, she's my go, she's my best friend today. She's almost 27 years old. And not only is she my, one of my best friends, she's also my greatest teacher and brings wisdom to the table that I would have judged as all over the place, unfocused, <laughs> um, a little woo, a little unrealistic, but the gift of an Enneagram seven is the ability to believe that anything mm -hmm. is possible, anything. And there are no restrictions yeah. to that. And I like to contain things. And um, yeah, she opened up and blew the lid off everything. <laughs> yeah. I'm kind of giggling because those are like legitimately words that I've heard from my mother as far as like, oh, you're unrealistic. Oh, you're anyways. So but one of the things that I love that you kind of brought in here is because this applies like if anyone's listening and like, it's not just with being a parent because I don't have kids, but utilizing this as how do you communicate with your partner? How do you communicate with your business associates? How do you communicate with your friends? And not only that, but then how alongside that, um, 
I've heard enough of your story to know, and anyone who goes through any major change and like learns them about themselves and then starts to bring that to the people in their lives, there are going to be people that aren't ready to come alongside you and you're going to have to lose people. And so I want to talk through the grief that comes with like both having to let go of who you were prior and let go of the people who aren't ready to come with you and how you navigate that and utilize the Enneagram in order, like in that process. It's really hard. It's really painful and it's really possible. It's really possible. Um, It doesn't mean that there aren't moments, you know, I'm not happy that I don't have a relationship with my mom, but I also am not going to throw myself to the wolves, so to speak. Not that she was Mm -hmm. ever, you know, terrible. Like she really, she was kind and she just emotional. Yeah. They can be a great person and not appropriate for your life right now, or maybe appropriate is not the right word, but. Right. You know, when I, when I had the realization, but what what it did allow for me to do was let go of some resentments that I had Mm -hmm. right first, not only for myself, but also the people in my life. When, when you recognize, yes, our parents, the people in our life have done the best they could, unless you're dealing with a fucking psycho sociopath, mean narcissistic, like, and those are absolutely, you know, out there. Right. And tendencies are there even in the best of homes. Right. Sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously. Mm -hmm. But when I had the realization that like, okay, I I love these people in my life, but I am not going to self-abandon one more day. I had self-abandoning for 40 years. And although there was a lot of the conditioning that um, brought that on, we could easily say, well, it was because my dad was a raging alcoholic. You never knew what you're going to get. We could say that, well, mom was emotionally neglectful and and quite honestly abandoned me emotionally. I could say that. And those both those things are true. And I have a responsibility for what I'm going to do with that, yeah. right? Like, it doesn't mean that doesn't happen. And I have some work to do around grieving that that was my experience. Absolutely. And there were some heinous things and, and abusive things that happened in my life growing up, all very true. And we have this, this moment in our life of deciding, is that going to define us? Or are we going to use it to refine us? Right. And that means we have to learn how to let go of the resentment. It doesn't mean we sweep it under the rug and say, it doesn't fucking bother me because we're humans and, and things hurt. Mm-hmm. And the grieving process requires us to feel, not just to understand from the neck up. Like this is the problem with even understanding some of this is like, yeah, I can see like, and understand why my dad was the way he was. I can see why my mom was the way they were. And that's understanding from the neck up. That's the first part. And that's the problem with personal development because most of it is about mindset and reconditioning of the mindset. Very important. But if we don't feel and grieve everything from the neck down, we're going to, we're going to keep having to learn the lesson the hard way. It's going to keep showing up same package, different wrapping paper in every aspect of our life. And so even though like I had understood why things went the way they went, I kept repeating certain kinds of relationships in my life, right? Women that would emotionally abandon me, men that would want me to be a chameleon to conform to whatever they wanted, which is the relationships I had with both of my parents. So my dad passed away. Um, before, right before I went into rehab, like six weeks before. So I, I didn't get to 
utilize this in that lifetime. But, you know, there's been a lot of healing even in his time gone here on earth. Mm -hmm. Um, Letting go of the dysfunction in my life. Like I said, there are people who think I am, I think I'm too good or I'm self-righteous or I'm judgmental. I don't judge anybody in my life, but I'm also not going to co-sign any bullshit or self-abandon one more day. I was the age of four, the first time I remember self-abandoning four. And if you are somebody that doesn't have a lot of memories of childhood, this will help you get there, right? We don't go back there to stay there. We go back there to kind of see where things went sideways and where those superpowers started becoming the kryptonite. Yeah. And, you know, as I've journeyed through this, I also know this to be true. And if you're listening right now, knowing that you have people in your life that maybe you have to have stronger boundaries around or let go or both, um, you're, you're scared of that. You're scared of how alone that might feel. You're scared of the backlash you're going to get all valid and all things you will absolutely probably Mm -hmm. face. But if you are somebody that desires more, you've got a vision board, you're saying you want all these things for your life. You have to make room for them. You have to, and it does, again, it doesn't mean anybody's bad or that they, they did anything wrong, but if you really want the things that you say that you want, you have to make room for them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that means letting go of family or a dysfunctional relationship. It's not easy. It's not fun. And there is kind of this purgatory time. You know, I used to be somebody who was like, all right, God, you know, that's my higher power is God. Um, but universe, whatever, whatever you believe in, like, this is kind of where we start negotiating, right? It's like, I will do this if everything that we do is like a contingency or like we want a time clock on it. Mm-hmm. And 12 years ago, I was like, okay, I'll get sober. I'll get sober. But, you know, I want my relationship to miraculously be better or I'll do this thing, but I want to make more money if I do it. Like the minute we start- Like we want the guarantee. We do. Which which doesn't happen. We want to know if we're going to sacrifice something that immediately it's the gap is going to be filled. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the more we we try to white knuckle and and have control of that, the less that's actually going to happen. We might think Mm -hmm. we've gotten that because let's say- you know, Mr. or Mrs. Wonderful show up and we're like, there it is. Or we start, I just manifested this or it's a sign. Mm. And it's like, no, not always. Sometimes we're settling for shit because we're so uncomfortable in it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, one of the things like that I had to let go of early on in this journey 12 years ago was a relationship that not, not surprising was just like the one I had with my dad. And it was highly toxic. Um, tons of chemistry, all the things that I had with my father too. Like my dad and I, like we had this weirdly chemistry filled, but dysfunctional relationship. And of course I was repeating that and I had to let go of that. Now, did I do it the most elegant way? No, of course. I couldn't just say this isn't working for me. I blew up my fucking life is what I did in order to make that happen. But um, I remember, you know, after I let go of that, and I'm somebody who is a relationship person. And for seven years, I didn't date. That's a little excessive. But for seven years, I didn't date mainly because I really want to understand what my part was in all the breakdowns of every relationship I'd ever been in, because it always takes two, right? Like, yeah, there was some shit that went on, but I wanted to understand where my part was. Thank God for the Enneagram. Cause I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. I like to flex. I like mm-hmm. to do all the things. And I remember my therapist saying like, 
I want you to practice date. I want you to start like dabbling in that. And although like that might be good for some people, for me, I knew it wasn't. I was like, listen, yeah. and it, I had to check myself though. Right. Cause I was like, okay, is this me trying to be superhero strong and protect the vulnerability or is this me in discernment and knowing exactly? And I had yeah. to check a couple of times and that takes practice because we can it bullshit does. ourselves. I've definitely felt that like when you first start any tool that you're diving into any knowing yourself deeper, any of that stuff, it's that kind of back and forth of like, okay, am I falling back into an old pattern? Is this a blind spot that I'm just not quite checking myself on? Or is this actually growth? And I mean, it is, it is, it can be a very confusing back and forth for a while until you really nail it. It's the reps that you have to get just like anything. Just like anything. And, you know, we can justify anything to protect our biggest fears, Right. And I was like constantly, it's why having a very solid coach, like somebody like me to kind of gently help you see your blind spots, we're always going to have them. Right. It's just Mm -hmm. like driving a car. I don't care if you're driving a Rolls Royce or a Kia, like they both have a blind spot. It doesn't matter how nice Mm -hmm. the car is. You got to check it. And I don't care how self-aware you are. You're going to have a blind spot. And until you are skilled and humbled enough to know that they're always going to be there and are okay with it. Having somebody to guide you through that, to help you discern, is this um, avoidance, numbing, justification, or is this discernment? Mm-hmm. And so once I discerned that this hiatus I was doing with relationships, this relationship anorexia that I was kind of in for a, a while, when she said to me, I want you to practice date. And I said, no, I was like, Ooh, that was quick. And mm-hmm. checking myself, I was like, and I said, this is, this is my truth. And yes, I am afraid of being vulnerable, no doubt about it, but I'm also ready. I recognize that vulnerability is strength. I'm there. And that being said, I also don't want to be distracted by what isn't for me and miss the miracle that is coming. Yeah. And so I am okay in this season of silence and this season of loneliness too, so that I am so fully present with myself and, and feeling my own nervous system, my own energy, that I will know when this person shows up. And sure as shit, that is exactly what happened with my relationship that I'm in with the person I'm going to go the distance with in this lifetime at this point. If I had been dabbling with what wasn't for me, when he showed up energetically, I would have missed it. Mm. I would have been blind to it and I would have been distracted with nonsense. Yeah. Right. So as we're kind of taking this inventory in our life and recognizing there are some people, places and things we're going to have to surrender and let go of so that we can make room for what is coming and for all the things we say we deserve and desire that comes with a season of silence and that sabbatical of purgatory of like, this sucks, this part is messy. And we're left with ourselves instead of all these things used to distract or numb ourselves. But having the tool of the Enneagram, when that stuff comes up, instead of leaning into this dysfunctional parts of my personality and who I am, I could honor them and use it to grow and attract the very thing that I wanted, even though it's hard, even though it's amazing. There's so many like gold nuggets in what you just said. I mean, first and foremost, the, I do, I like, I 100% think the Enneagram is such a great tool to come alongside you and help you take radical responsibility mm-hmm. where it's needed. And then you were talking about dating, but it could be applied to anything in life. Like we always want to kind of jump the gun and get to where we want to be, 
but it is so important to take that time because chances are, if you do try to jump the gun, there's going to be a lot of lessons that you miss and you're going to take up that space that you need to have that white space that you need in order to allow the things that are meant for you down the road. Like I bet 12 years ago, if you jumped into like where you are now with like the, the relationship, the business, all these things, like it wouldn't work. You wouldn't be able to hold it because you hadn't done the work leading up to it. Not only that, we, we hear the, the work, right? What is the work, mm-hmm. right? And I want you to think about like, especially when we have this reckoning in our life, whether it's we're on this personal growth, personal development journey, we're diving in, we're going to the events, we're surrounding ourselves with people that are going to up-level our lives and maybe even hiring a coach. And then all you you turn around and you're left with this big pile of wreckage that you feel like you've been buried under for mm. so long. I don't care how good and skilled you are. You still have to take one brick and one rock off at a time. Yeah. And when we start this journey, we have to pull off the stuff that's on top first. It is the easier stuff. And, and this is where the personal development world also gets a little fucked up too, is like, if you just do these few things, you're solid. You're, and then we find ourselves like, once we clear some of the path, then we're like, oh my God, there's this other layer. There's this other layer. Mm -hmm. And I just want you to know there's going to be layers till you're dead. Okay. And new levels bring new devils and, and new beautiful ways that we can grow. Like those devils are here to not just trigger us, but to be a catalyst for change right? Mm -hmm. But we have to do it brick by brick. And a lot of us want to rush it, myself included. I had no idea the depths of the piles we're under. And if you're like me, like if you have any time on this earth, I got 51 years on this earth. There's a lot of bricks that I have been buried under for a long, long time. And you know, we, we do it one at a time, one at a time. And the more that you surrender to the process, the easier and the faster we can go through the layers we can't bypass them. We can't just like try to get another stick of dynamite and blow it up again to hope they <laughs> fly out a different way. It's just going to make it yep. worse. Um, but recognizing that as we grow and like the things that I have awareness of and insight around, I couldn't have accessed 12 years ago mm-hmm. because I had this outer layer of, of wreckage, the obvious stuff, at least obvious for then, like now I'm like, oh my gosh, how did I not see that? Because I was piled other rocks before that. Yeah. Right. And just know that you are on this journey until you're dead. When you brought up, you know, yes, we've talked about dating, we've talked about parenting, but also like the support and, you know, business support and friendship support we want in our life. Because although I love my children and I love my my man partner in my life, like I have to have more than that in my life. We can't rely and put it all on one person, place, or thing to be our end all be all for support. Yeah. And, you know, having supportive friendships, business and personal was something that I've always struggled with because I didn't want, you know, any gram eight don't, don't want to rely on strong. I don't need anyone. And, you know, I've rushed into some decisions in those areas before, because I just like, I didn't want to be vulnerable. And of course, when we're not vulnerable, we're going to attract something that isn't for us. Right. Mm -hmm. And that showed up in different people, places and things. And I've had to kind of go through the reckoning in those relationships, too, until the last few years. Um, But again, having this as the ultimate compass, along with my my intuition, my nervous system and my faith, 
really ask, ask, act as this power tool bunch um, to help me make those hard decisions, have hard conversations, take accountability, uh, accountability, radical responsibility um, mm-hmm. and move forward so that I can have this beautiful support system around me here on earth and, and beyond. Um, the, the friendships and the support that I have in my life is something that required me to be vulnerable because anybody of quality in your life, although you might bring something to the table that they need and they may bring something to the table that you need, if there isn't this beautiful vulnerability exchange, it's not going to last. Yeah. It's it's not going to be soulful either. It's just going to feel like we're checking boxes here. Mm-hmm. The older you get, the more you realize you don't want to just be checking boxes and and getting to the end zone all the time. You want to find joy in the journey. And the joy is in the relationships that we make along the way, personally and professionally. Um, and that requires this level of vulnerability from an authentic, healthy place. Um, kind of went off on a tangent there, but. No, I love it. I think that's such an important thing to bring up. And I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast in the past as well, yeah. as far as really being very intentional with who your inner circle is and who you develop a relationship with and not just having these a group of people that you call friends, but they're really more acquaintances, like having those deep vulnerable relationships that are like symbiotic and you can give and take from each other. And it's, and not, and having people for different things. I think it was really great that you brought up the like, yes, the partner, yes, the kids, but don't put everything on them. Have people for, I have, different people that I go to for business stuff than I do for like more personal stuff. There are a few, a few people that overlap, but like, yeah, it really is. There's different realms that they bring things to the table. We can be vulnerable in. And understanding as you grow, that circle might have to change. Mm -hmm. And I don't care how much time you've invested. I don't care how great of a human they are. Yeah. People don't get to stay in my inner circle just because we've known each other since middle school. Like we could have met yesterday and you, and or years ago, like it, that doesn't matter. And you might be on the receiving end of somebody cycling you out of their inner circle. Oh, 100. Yep. And on that too. And that doesn't. And it's feel- okay. It, it, yes, yeah. it feels like shit, but it knowing like that shit. it's not. Yeah. It does. I want you to know it's not just me <laughs> saying, cut everybody out of your life that doesn't like, no, I've been on the receiving end in recent mm-hmm. times of somebody recognizing that my part in their story was over. And it wasn't mm-hmm. on my terms. I did not like it. I did not, it did not feel good. I had to grieve and feel and, yeah. and be sad and understand that that is part of the journey. And like everything happens the way it's supposed to. I don't believe that everything happens for a reason because there's some shit that goes down that really. Yeah, I want to punch people when they say that, especially like I'm, I'm sure you had the same people. Yeah. Tend to say that after like a loved one dies and I'm like, mm, that not helpful. No, like, or like being sexually assaulted and abused, yeah. like, like hard to like say that that happened for a reason. But I do believe yeah. that everything that does happen can be used for something beautiful, even 100%. being receiving end of being sometimes beautifully and elegantly moved out of the inner circle and sometimes abrupt, abruptly and abusively. Mm-hmm. I've been abused being kicked out of a circle in years. And that sucks. And like, as much as I wanted to annihilate those people for doing me dirty like that, 
-hmm. I also, because of my understanding of this, understand why it had to happen. And then my work in grieving that and feeling that it it would be easy to say, well, fuck them. I don't care about them. No, I did. Yeah. And that's where I think that's such a good thing to point up, bring up too. It's like, yes, it would be easy to say, oh, fuck them. And you could easily find people that would back you and kind of allow you to get away with that justification at the same time what's going to serve you best in that moment is utilizing Enneagram or whatever tools you have to kind of work through that grief that is inevitable. And, and people through... that will co-sign you just saying, fuck it. Yep. Who cares? Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> into the people in my life that would be like, Ooh, that had to hurt a lot. Let me hold mm-hmm. space with you while yeah. you feel the sadness, which I don't love sadness. If you guys haven't seen the movie inside out, It's required homework (laughs) for everyone I work with because that movie had me in the fetal position in all the beautiful, healthy ways because I recognize how much I was in love with one or two of those emotions, but the full five are required Mm. for to transformation and acceptance. And I saw things like joy and sadness, which I resist. They're the emotions I resist the most because those are vulnerable. If I'm too joyous, you know, if I let myself get excited, that means I could be equally betrayed. If yeah. I felt self feel sadness, then I'm just weak. But if I don't, if you don't allow yourself the full scope of the human emotions, it's going to keep showing up in your life until you get the lesson. And usually that will come like, like a two by four in your, in your, yeah, face. it's like, it'll come as a whisper. And then a louder whisper and then eventually a two by four and then like legitimately pushing you off a cliff if you still don't listen. Yeah, which is where I was 12 years ago when all this mm-hmm. started. It was my resisting all the things and all the feelings and all the emotions and holding beautiful, honoring space for them and recognizing they're all valuable, they're all important, and they're all necessary for me to actually transform my life. Yeah. And even though anger is the one I love the most, I was using it in a very dysfunctional way. Now I have healthy anger and it's not used to like cut a bitch and end up as a line episode here at some point, right? Now that, and now like I, I welcome the sadness to come in. So when I, I was outed of a circle that, you know, was abusive and not nice and, and, horrible, quite honestly, of course, I wanted to pop off and, and hold resentment and be vengeful and angry. And there was a place for anger in that it wasn't fair. It wasn't kind. It wasn't nice, but I'm not going to cut her. Right. And then I welcomed in the sadness of that really hurt. Mm -hmm. I gave my all to that relationship. I gave my all to that person. And she's out here saying really horrible things about me, not just rejecting me and abandoning, but but also saying really mean, untrue things about me. And that Mm -hmm. is hurtful and that is sad. And when I welcomed that in and leaned into the support that I have, they're like, gosh, that has to hurt. And even though they think I'm strong and they know I'm strong, the, the fact that I'm willing to bring in the sadness and let myself feel it, guess what happened? I moved through that grieving process Mm -hmm. pretty damn fast. And guess what else happened? a better, bigger, more supportive, vulnerable community moved into the circle and and it is better and I'm not as depleted. And even though, yes, I still have moments where it's still like the sting will come up from time to time Mm -hmm. when I hear that person's name brought up in, in times like, yeah, yeah, it's going to sting. And she's on her. Yeah. You're human. I'm human. We all are. You listening are. 
And so you have to let yourself feel all the human emotions and not just like fall in love with the one that protects your biggest fear from happening. Yeah. I think that little bit too, of like the, the you're human, like it still stings is a good reminder too. Cause I know when I was relative, like enough into the healing journey that I, I could recognize when I allowed, like I almost took those like stings when it would come back as like a, Oh, I'm not quote unquote there yet. And I still need to work on things. And it took me a while to come to terms with like, okay, no, that's just me being human and it's okay. And I, I can do more. Like the fact that I'm not flipping out on someone shows the growth. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've had friends of mine that are Enneagram eights like me, like seriously, like we're the type of friend eights are the ones that you call if you need a bury a body buried. Right. Yeah. Seriously, we, we are the challenger for a reason. And some of the people that I've worked with who've also become friends, she's like, I am so happy that I'm an evolved eight because seriously, this girl, this person does not know what I could have done to them. But I also, not mm-hmm. only that, but I feel more confident that feminine energy has a place where we can thrive and grow and um, the, we're not energetically bankrupt from, you know, popping off all the time. Like not only does, does, does it help us transform and heal and grow, but we need both that feminine and masculine energy. And we need to like, know when it's time to like step on the gas over here or pull back over, over there and understanding your Enneagram type will allow you to leverage that in the most beautiful, elegant, healthy ways so that you can transform, grow, make a lot of money, have amazing sex, have the yeah. most beautiful relationships in your life, be the mom or dad you want to be. Like it's a holistic approach to your whole life. And yeah. when you recognize that, like you don't have to wear all these different hats and you don't have to compartmentalize yourself. You actually can be who you were meant to be. You may wear the hat a little bit different for this situation or, you know, twist it this way, but it's still the same hat. I'm still the same person, whether I am talking to the CEO at John Deere or I'm on the floor with a five-year-old, I'm still the same mm-hmm. person, but how my hat gets worn just changes. And yeah. when, when you are operating like that, you will have boundless amounts of energy. You will reverse the aging process you will have better relationships in your life and you won't feel like you're, you're dying at the end of a day. Mm-hmm. Like, how great is that? Yeah. I love that. Uh, Tracy, thank you so much. And I am, I'm definitely going to put the links for your blueprint and just like the ways to work with you in the show notes here. Um, I mentioned this earlier. I've worked one-on-one with Tracy and it honestly blew me away. Like Tracy, I don't think I even told you this. I might have intercession. I can't remember. But I was like, okay, cool. Like Enneagram coaching, I really want to dive in. I want to know myself. And then we got to the part where you're like, okay, cool. Let's dive into business stuff. And I was like, wait, what? I I get more than just this? Yeah. (laughs) So you are such a light. And it's just amazing how you're able to really dive in and see things with like through the lens of the Enneagram. But it's just, it's so much more than that. And then we didn't even get into like tri-types and all these other things that I like no matter how much I dove into the Enneagram, like you don't find that on like a Google search of what an Enneagram test is. So y'all definitely go check it out at at minimum, go get her blueprint. All right. Like you'll thank me later. So Tracy, thank you so much for having you for coming on. Yeah. It's one thing to have the roadmap, but like knowing where to go with it. Um, sometimes having somebody talk you through it, you'll have to have me back on and we can dive deeper into yeah. as like people are like yes like i am here for yeah the this. tri-type blew me away in of itself right. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And sometimes you just need the, the first nugget to open the door, just like I did 12 years ago. Like I only knew like the eight and that I was an eight when I first started and unpacking what that meant. And obviously what I've been able to do and use it as a compass to guide me in all areas of my life, the last 12 years has allowed me to do what I do today. So thanks for having me on and let me pour into your people it means a lot. Yeah. Okay. High five for taking some time out of your day for yourself to listen to this episode. It is my hope that it makes you feel more seen and heard and understood because we are all human and being human is messy and imperfect and beautiful. And you were beautiful. So if this resonated, it would mean the world to me if you shared it on social along with your biggest takeaway and then tag me at move on the daily and hum- at human dot on the daily. Thank you so much and see you next time.